Well, good morning, 1030 people at Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and whether you're live streaming or whether you're live in the house, I'm always glad to be able to li be, be live back. That's better than the alternative, to be live back with you. And I am so glad that you are connecting with us on this fifth out of six Sundays that we're having in this series called Real Relationships, a series all about how to have genuine connections, not phony friendships, all about authentic relationships with other people, whether that's in your family, whether that's at work, even at church, real relationships. And it's also been the first message series that I've ever done with a chart behind me. And, uh, but I, but I've, I've soldiered on through, and you're going to see what that chart is all about in just a few minutes. Today's message is called Touch. And if you have your Bible with you, maybe your Bible looks like mine, which means it looks like a book, even though it's not really a book. The Bible is not a book. It is a library. Maybe it looks like my, mine, and, and, or maybe it's on your phone. And, and either way, I just want to invite you, locate Matthew. Or you can go to Matthew, but I won't be there. Go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 and verses 30, 36 through 39. And uh, it, again, either you flip the pages to get there, or if you have your Bible that is loaded as an app on your phone, just scroll down to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 39. Really matters a lot to us for you to be able to see the scripture for yourself today or any time that we're together. A couple of things that we believe about the Bible, and, and one, I just, I let that cat out of the bag. Not book, is library, and when I say it's a library, that means written by a lot of different authors over a long span of time. And here's the deal, in multiple writing styles. And the Gospel of Luke is in the biography section of the biblical library. Every library has a biography section, and so does the Bible. Four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one subject, Jesus. And that may, that's just a fact. You may not, know, may not have known that before, that that's how the Bible is put together. It's still true, but... The other thing moves into this realm of treasured conviction that we have here at this church. You may not believe what I'm getting ready to say, or when I say it, you may be like, finally, thank you, I do believe that. We just like to be honest and clear about the kind of church we are. And it's this, that in leadership at this church, we believe there's no other library like this one. We believe that God breathed his life into its words, and he put its truth onto its pages. The Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction comes a custom that when we talk about the Bible, and some of you are already me beating me to it, you overachievers. When we talk about the Bible, we lift it up. And if you've never been here before and you're like, whoa, it's kind of unusual. It is. We admit it. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for that power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before I say another word, I want to pray before the message and pray in gratitude on this Veterans Day weekend for those of you who have served and are serving and benefited from the service of others. That's like all of us. Let's pray. So God, we do, we do thank you for those who have done so well and gone so far in, in protecting us, especially in this era of really unusual instability. We, we pray that Jesus would be king and your people would be protected. 
And Father, we also thank you for these veterans even among us. And then today, as, as we move into the message, I just am so glad I get to declare, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm never helpless. So send that help, the Holy Spirit of God, to fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head and to do the same for all who are within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today uh, is, uh, and I'll come back to that Bible in a minute, today is just super exciting. Because we are nearing the end of this Real Relationships series. And on today's message, I get to enter into what is a no-win situation. Isn't that great? That here at the beginning, I admit that I am willingly putting myself between rock and hard place, and the best that I can do at the end of it all is a tie. And, and you're like, what? what? What are you talking about, about being in a no-win situation, the best you can do is a tie? Well, a good question, and I'm glad to give you the answer. The reason that I say that is that because we've been in this series, and, and, and the series is all about how relationships, healthy relationships, romantic relationships, family relationships, work relationships, even church relationships— how they, by and large, follow this progress from no to trust, to rely, to commit, and to touch. Let's say those words together. No, trust, rely, commit, touch. Y'all are so gullible. The Kool-Aid's coming out a little bit later, but... So that's how relationships go, and we have, we've come to recognize together that you want your relationships, like you want to know someone very well before you trust them. And you want to trust them a lot before you're willing to rely on them. And, and you want to rely on them even before you commit to them. And then the, the crowning touch of it all, and this is where in, in so many ways in the modern world everything gets backwards, is that you want to know, trust, rely, and commit to someone before you are willing to touch them. And so, see, I already have somebody on my side. Isn't that great? And, and, and so today's message is called Touch. You're like, woo! Some of you already had tingle go up, up your arm, and, and you're like, he is going to get physical today. Rest in peace, Olivia Newton-John. And you're, you're all like, where is this message? Thank you for boomers in the front for understanding that. Where, where is this message going about getting physical? And the reason that I say that touch and a talk in church about touch is a no-win proposition from the beginning is because there are so many ways in so many walks of life for touch to go sideways, for it to get misinterpreted, for the whole situation to go down the tubes. Like you might have heard of the father who was with his young daughter, and she's nine or ten years old, and they, they were in a building and on a very crowded elevator. This is pre-COVID, so they had them jammed into that elevator, and the, they're going up the elevator, and the elevator stops, and the doors open, and a very lovely young woman comes in, gets on the elevator, and stands in front of dad and daughter. And and door closes, and about three seconds later, the woman turns around and whack, 
slaps dad on the face. And yeah, wow. And so at the next stop, at the next stop, she door opens and she storms out of the elevator in a huff and door closes. A nine-year-old daughter looks up at her dad and she says, she wasn't very nice, was she? And dad's rubbing his cheek. He said, no, she wasn't. And the little girl says, well, I didn't think so. Because when she got on the elevator, she stepped on my feet. And so to get her back, I pinched her. Touch. There's so many ways for touch to go wrong, for touch to get sideways. And, and moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads in the house, any one of you who has more than one child and you've been in a car with that more than one child, how long did it take before you heard the inevitable, the unstoppable, stop touching me? Happens to all of us. Every household stop touching me, and then it gets a little bit more serious. Because have we not in recent years seen politicians and celebrities and athletes and pastors get in trouble for what do they call it? Inappropriate touching. And you've likely been creeped out reading about it on the internet or watching it on YouTube. And I've been creeped out seeing it happen to so many colleagues in ministry. And, and I suspect in a gathering of this size, I'm talking to at least one or two or maybe more who's been the victim of some inappropriate intimate touching that you neither asked for nor wanted and perhaps there's someone in the room who's been the toucher in those kind of situations. And so all in all, from the humorous to the serious, from the ridiculous to the sublime, touch in church starts out as almost a no-win situation. And all in all, a lot of us preachers would just as soon avoid giving the message, and maybe some of you would just as soon avoid, uh, just as soon avoid hearing it. However, but if we are going to be people who have authentic relationships and not fake connections, if we're going to people, be people who have healthy families and not just people we come home to at the end of the day, if we're going to be people of faith, touch is a topic that we will need to deal with and deal with it closely. And maybe more than anything else, as we emerge on the other side of this thing that happened to us, and what do they call it? Social distancing? where touch was literally not allowed. As we deal with the fallout from lockdown, and some of you have seen that fallout in your own lives and in your own families with higher rates of depression and higher rates of anxiety, and yeah, even higher rate rates of crime. And as we deal with all of those kinds of fallouts, so much of which stem from you may not touch one another, we're going to want to be people. Not that we want overtouched or overtouchers, but we are going to want to be people to, to lean into how it is that we can be people, be people who have healthy 
boundaried, emotionally well touch in our families and workplaces, and yeah, even in church. And, and when I talk about that kind of healthy, boundaried touch, I'm talking about not creepy touch, Christ-like touch, or maybe kangaroo-like touch. You're like, kangaroo touch? Yeah, the most interesting thing happened in Australia where they have animals that they don't have anywhere else in the world, including, yeah, you got it, yeah. So they, the medical professionals in Australia came up with a, 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 a hypothesis and tested it on extremely premature babies. And how could they nurture them to health? And they began dealing with extremely premature babies as a kangaroo deals with her newborn in a pouch, unending, continual, intimate, physical touch, parent to child, nurse to child. And what they discovered is that they were able to dramatically reduce the rate of mortality among extremely premature infants born in Australia. Because all of us, Good Shepherds, you may not know this, or not, all of us in, the, in this era in which we are at the same time very skeptical of overtouching and being overtouched and coming out of lockdown, all of us are skin starved. Every single one of us was born with this need. To, we have a skin hunger. All of us were born with that. And in Australia, they just put it to the test and they found out a whole lot more healthy, premature babies growing into adulthood as a result. So with all that, it's so interesting, Good Shepherd. It's so interesting what we find in this story in Luke chapter 24. Go ahead and open your Bible there, Luke chapter 24. Scroll there, open there, Luke chapter 24 and verses 36 and following. And this is on Easter evening. So Jesus has risen from the dead. And yet his closest followers, they don't know it. Look what happens, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, meaning the rumors they'd heard that the grave was empty, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and they were frightened thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. And what's the next word? Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have touched me and see. It's so interesting what's happening here. In, in this room where the disciples are gathered, they, 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 they've heard that the tomb is empty. They've heard a rumor that he's risen from the dead. And then he's standing right in front of them. But the, Jesus's inner circle, they refuse to believe what their eyes are telling them. They gaslight themselves. That's what gaslighting is. When somebody else tries to tell you, no, what your eyes see for yourself is not true. This time they are gaslighting themselves. No, 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 that's not really me. But I love, I love how this works, that, that even in this, in this one snapshot moment, we see that the disciples themselves have lived out the relationship attachment model with Jesus because they know Jesus and they trust him. And they rely on him and woo, were they committed to him? They gave him everything. But it is not until, it is not until, all the ways they got it wrong, all the time that he was on earth, they didn't understand who he was or what he was about. And it was not until the crowning 
touch came along and they could touch and believe. And just think of all the things Jesus didn't do. When he's standing there in front of people who are gaslighting themselves, he didn't give them a sermon. He didn't offer them logical proofs as to why he was resurrected. He didn't write a book for them. He didn't argue them into it. He resorted to, hey, guys, touch me. And you have to wonder, well, why? At this moment, this pivot, uh, not to be dramatic, but hello, let's be dramatic. This is the pivot point in human history. This is the pivot point in the growth of the church and the redemption of the human race. Everything hinges on this moment. And so why, with everything hinging on this moment, does Jesus not argue them, not preach to them, not write a book for them, but he says, touch? Why? Here's why. Because touch communicates truths that words cannot express. That's why. For you and for me, in relationships at home, even in relationships at work, and certainly relationships at, at, at church, human touch communicates truths that are too deep for words to express. There does come a time in your marriages and at your work and in church life and with your siblings and with your kids, there comes that time when you run out of words. And when you run out of words, I just want the people of this church to understand and embrace healthy, boundaried touch as a way to communicate that which is too deep to be communicated verbally. Man, this is so true. Moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads, this is so true for how you, how you raise a family. I have a, I have a picture here of, of our... This is, this is my whole family history in a nutshell. This is everything you need to know about me and Julie and our two children. This is a picture. Uh, our son, Riley, uh, this is at his college graduation back in 2015. He's now 31. And his older sister, Taylor, who was, uh, is now 34. And so whatever, however old she, old she was in she would have been 26 when this happened, 25, 26. So, so you, you see in that picture that Riley was born from the, the womb. He was born with this insatiable desire for a healthy human touch. He was a hugger. He was a holder. He was a grabber. He was a wrestler. I mean, come on, me wrestling? But you do what you do, what they want you to do. Always touching how, whatever it took, never creepy, always holy. The boy thrived on physical touch. His sister, not so much. <laughs> if we were lucky, she let us kiss the top of her head. And that's true when she was four, and it's true when she's 34. And so in this picture, at his college graduation, you can see him overwhelming and her embracing and him uh, assaulting in a good way, and, and her resisting. And we have that same picture in different garb, like when they were five and two all the way through till today. The pattern always remains the same. But here's the deal. They know that about each other. We know that 
about them. We know that he's going to be the initiator. She's going to be the tolerator. And it works. And so I don't want what I want to invite you, moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads. Are you studying your family? Are, are you understanding who receives love in physical touch and in what kind of ways they receive that or do not receive it? Maybe more to the point, because so much of this has to do with our own families of origin. Have you pondered what, what it was like when, when you were a child? Were, were your parents skin starvers or skin soakers or somewhere in between? A lot of you know that my mom was a, a product of the depression. And when you're a product of the depression, the goal is survival. It is not affection. And when, when, when you're raised by a mom whose goal is survival and not affection, I assume that, that I have some skin starvation, maybe not a lot, but may, maybe a little. And, and that's why my fondest memories of my mom are, are those times when she would get out of herself. So here's my mom, and she would get out of herself, and I'm like nine years old and scared in bed, and she comes and, and let her know that I'm scared, and she comes, and she caresses my forehead and praise the Lord's prayer over me so they won't be scared anymore, our Father who art in heaven. And do you know the miracle of that? <laughs> Is that in that season of her life when she was praying the Lord's prayer over scared me while touching, caressing my forehead, she wasn't even religious. What a miracle. But what a memory. And I just want to invite you to study Study those close to you, those you love the most in such a way so that you can live into this invitation that when you run out of words, touch communicates truths that are too deep for them to express. And guys, single and married in the house, going to have a word with you. Actually, two words, tread lightly. <laughs> Actually, two more words. So I guess, guys, can I have four words with you? Tread lightly, and, and the second pair were side hugs. And when I say side hugs, that, that, that's because uh, for all my years of being a pastor, for females of virtually any age, that's the best I got to give. And so many times through the years, have been, they've been like, Talbot, why are you so strict with that side hug stuff? And, and then pastors started dropping like flies sometimes for money, much more often for inappropriate touch and sex. And all of a sudden, the Talbot, why are you so strict, became Talbot, why are you so smart? And I was like, yeah, hey, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll. So, but man, take, take that. Be, be, be healthy and boundary guys in the house within the sound of my voice. Healthy touch, boundary touch, because I just realized through the years, man, with all these side hugs, I don't ever want to be the creep. I don't ever want to be, I don't ever want to be the former pastor. Because I, I love my wife and I love my job. And this has been something that's worked at, hello, a lot of years for both of them. Touch communicates truths that are too deep for words to express. And we could get, and ladies in the house, I can either talk really loud. There we go. Ladies in the house, 
If I could get a word with you as well, and this is especially true for dealing with men in your life, men you meet at the gym or men you meet at work or men you meet at church, and, and, and it's this, the men in your life are so insecure. Can I get an amen that men are just habitually insecure? <laughs> men, you like, it's like you didn't really even believe what I just said. That just proves how true it is. Men are so insecure that they will read an advance into something that is not remotely advancing. Did you get that? The, the men who surround you have so much insecurity, so want to be loved, they will read an advance into something that you don't mean to be advancing at all. Even something as innocent as a touch on, on an arm, you're like, I'm just touching their forearm. No, that can light a guy up. So now, their irresponsibility is not your responsibility. I just want to invite you to be cautious and to be aware of the sort of the cauldron of insecurity that is all around you. And for both genders, married people in particular, if you are going through a rough patch in your marriage, do not use as a confidant a member of the opposite sex. Don't go to that girl at work or that guy at the gym and well they just seem so understanding and kind of cute and might as well tell them what no that never ends well because it did not begin well and dads dads and granddads within the sound of my voice let's admit that when it comes to to being able to speak that love language of touch most moms most grandmoms have us well be, and, and I just want to encourage you dads to, to recognize all the ways you've got some catching up to do, and dads of young daughters in particular, please hear me. If your daughter does not get healthy physical touch from you now, she will pursue unhealthy physical touch from others later. That which you give in childhood leads to that which you prevent in adolescence. And I just want dads in, within the sound of my voice to be so empowered and to recognize all the ways that you can convey this deepest. And even if all she lets you do is kiss the, kiss the top of her forehead, do it and do it again because touch communicates truths that words cannot express and man this model this model applies so closely so precisely in the world of romance because we all know of people and i said this last week people let's meet for dinner i don't know you at all but i'm gonna stay for breakfast and the fallout the fallout of those kind of relationships where you know barely and yet you touch intimately. Some of you have lived the fallout of those relationships. You've told me about that. And so I, I simply want all of us to be aware that we want to, in God's, the way that God has ordained his world, the way that God has designed his world, that our knowledge and our trust and our rely and our commit is always to be ahead, especially if you're single, always to be ahead of our level of touch. And if you're married today and you recognize that, yeah, 
our marriage started out wrong because we touched way before we committed. And if that's you, there's a whole lot of people. I'm not, I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I just want you to, to be aware that your marriage didn't have the start that God wanted it to. And I want you to have that awareness so that you can go before God. And in that moment of rigorous honesty, you can say, Lord, we didn't start out right because we got this order messed up. We want to do over. We want your healing in those most intimate areas of our lives. And the good news, good shepherd, is that's what God does. That God is all about the do-overs. That God is all about taking those places that we have broken, that we have messed up, and he's all about putting them back together. If you have that humility and that self-awareness to say to the Lord, Lord, we messed it up. We need you to make it right. That's what he does. Because along the way, what you will discover, and what some of you have already discovered because you've told me in the most painful of ways, that when you got this order all wrong... And when you touched intimately, when you just knew barely that, that you learned the hard way, that God knows what's best for you better than you do. Did you catch that? That whether it comes to money or whether it comes to sex or whether it comes to forgiveness or whether it comes to relationships, you think you know best what's best for your life and you're wrong. That's, that's why Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. You know why it says lean on, not on your own understanding? Because your understanding misunderstands. But God knows what's best for you better than you do. And he's such a good God. And he wants to make all of this right. And he wants to take your body, that body that you have taken into some places that maybe even cause you shame, embarrassment he knows where you've taken your body and he was there with you wanting to redeem you and protect you because again that's who he is and that's what he does and the great news good shepherd is that when he goes into those dark places of your memories and your shame and when he brings that healing for what you've done actually with your body man luke chapter 24 makes all kind of sense. Because what does Jesus tell his followers to do to prove that he really is risen from the dead? Touch me. And what is the great hope, the ultimate hope of the Christian faith? You may not know this, but the great hope of the Christian faith, at the end of everything, when Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, when Jesus comes back, it's not so much that we get to have our souls float around in heaven. No, it's better than that. Jesus brings heaven here, and we get brand new, resurrected, glorified bodies. That's why the creed says that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So at the end of everything, Good Shepherd, your body, you are going to get a new body with no pimples <laughs> and no cancer and no Lou Gehrig's disease 
and no depression and no arthritis. You're going to get a new, glorified, perfected, touchable body. And when we know that that is our destiny, how can we be anything else or do anything less? Touch. Touch communicates truths too deep for words to express. Let's pray. So God, thank you that you are a God who loves us skin to skin. Thank you that what happened to Jesus's body is just a foretaste of what will happen to ours. Thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you would give each of us within the sound of my voice that divine ability with people in our family and and other circles of influence to have the kind of touch that communicates truths that words cannot express. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.